welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. It's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, hey, folks. Welcome. Uh, I've got a great one for you today. I had such a blast. I think I recorded the intro and outro to last week's episode with Matthew Gray uh, right after I talked to today's guest. Carl Kozlowski uh, was a blast. Um, this guy, a, a stand-up comic, comic a writer, uh, he, he was named America's Funniest Reporter. That was a competition from the uh, Laugh Factory, a very famous uh, stand-up joint, for those of you who don't know. Uh, he battled narcolepsy, um, so many things. We talk about, he's got, uh, we barely brushed the surface, I think, on some of the stories we had. We talked about his uh, story, uh, his life story with Norm MacDonald, we'll say. Uh, some interesting intersections with Michael Richards. Um we talk about Bob Saget. We talk a lot about Stephen Tobolowski. God dang it. See, I've already forgotten his name. The guy who played Ned Ryerson, which proves the point we talk about in this podcast episode. This is a blast. Hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned because it's packed full of uh, stories and entertainment from start to finish. Um, let me quickly read my ads and then t talk about one more thing. Uh, hey, drinking spirits is expensive. Instead of dropping bank on a bottle you're not sure you'll absolutely love, expand your palate with Flaviar's ever-growing collection of spirits. This members club curates an extensive collection that's complete with everything from the big brand classics to offerings from smaller craft distillers with personalized recommendations based on your current likes and dislikes and one complimentary tasting box every quarter. Their selection eclipses what you'll find at local liquor stores and bars, totaling thousands, all documented in the Flaviar app, along with visualized tasting notes. Members also get special pricing, and shipping is free on everything. So when you stumble on a bottle you need more of, it'll arrive right to your door. Folks, use the Flaviar link in the show notes below to get the special discount for being a listener of the Jeff Macalino podcast. And also shout out to the sponsor, Ibotta. This is the cashback shopping app that earns you money back with everyday purchases from thousands of retailers across the country. I use it myself. It's on my phone. Every time I go to the grocery store, I'm, I'm clicking on a few items and getting money back for things I already was going to buy. Uh, liquor stores, grocery stores, Walmart, wherever you go. I don't shop at Walmart, but no judgment if you do. Uh, <laughs> use Ibotta and use the link below so you get a special introductory offer and they know that the Jeff Macalino podcast sent you on over. Got another undertaking. Um, not sure if when this podcast drops, there'll be anything, but um, I think it's safe to announce I uh, am uh, joining uh, another show as a co-host. This will not affect this podcast whatsoever, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, basically as a co-host uh, of another show, um, <laughs> the name of the show is Mr. Dog Poop Live. Yes, you heard that correctly. Mr. Dog Poop Live. Um it is a business, by the way, uh, that um, it, it, Mr. Dog Poop is a business, and this is a subsidiary, I suppose you could say, uh, of that business. Uh, so, you know, we, we're not talking about dog poop, uh, at least not excessively, uh, on the show. Uh, so check that out. Uh, again, Mr. Dog Poop Live, it'll be a daily show that will be live streamed eventually. Um, so stay tuned. I'll give you more info on that, but you can hop on over to the YouTube and subscribe in the meantime, uh, while we start uh, getting content uh, recorded and put out for you. 
All right. Enjoy this wonderful episode with myself and Carl Kozlowski. All right, everybody. I'm very pleased to welcome Carl Kozlowski to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you today, Carl? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, excited to, to talk to you, and uh, I'm excited to uh, to get a copy of your book that, that I don't have yet, but uh, it's, it's oh, on sorry. order. <laughs> I should have done that. Oops. I think no, I no, sent no. you the PDF, didn't I? Anyway, I don't know. Yeah, you, you probably offered, and I was going to buy it, and uh, or I did, but it, it arrives tomorrow. So <laughs> no problem. Okay. But uh it's okay. Um but uh I'll I'll learn some about you and I, I there's going to be a lot more in the book I'm sure that uh <laughs> This is the book folks. Just thought I'd show you. Those are confused tales from a nutty narcoleptic life. It's on Amazon only, but it's in paperback and um ebook and on audiobook. And the audiobook I'm a 25-year veteran comic at some of the biggest clubs. And I performed the hell out of it. So uh, I guarantee you'll like any form of it. But uh, that's it. Only on Amazon. Yep. All right. Shameless plug over. <laughs> no, well, that, that'll be the money shot I use for the promo poster, too. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> so that's perfect. Um, so let's, uh, I, perfect segue. Let's segue into into your start in comedy. So I know, um, I guess you, you can lay out the timeline for me. I know you were a reporter, a writer who yeah. worked for a lot mm -hmm. of, large publications did yeah. that come before comedy after comedy what 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 kind of a timeline there um kind of at the same time as far as on a like pre-professional level i went to college at texas christian university and i was on the school newspaper and i had a funny column uh every week in the paper that uh, they had a survey at the end of every semester trying to see who would be uh, who the people uh, wanted to keep seeing uh, right. And I was the only one who made it through all eight surveys and didn't call them for four years. And that was funny doing that. And then um, there was a uh, college comedy contest, a national one run by, I don't even know if this exists anymore, Search, the Breathmans. But mm. um, they uh, sponsored a national comedy competition for colleges and I did it my freshman year and I came in second out of like 10 guys. And then the next year I won and then they stopped doing the contest for some reason. So, um, uh, but I started both of those in college. And when I eventually moved to Chicago, um, I was, uh, yeah, I started working as a writer right away and comedy was like my sideline. Although I moved there to Chicago because I wanted to study at uh, the world's most famous improv school, Second City. And uh, that brought me to Chicago. And then I lucked into a writing job and started doing stand-up. So, yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, so you, you really, you, you were a busy person and yeah. sounds like you're, you're still the reigning champion of that competition, technically. <laughs> yeah. You're the last I mean, one. <laughs> it, you know, even my, uh, even my therapist is like, when are you going to slow down? And I was like, I don't know. So yeah, when when I'm in the ground, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and and I mean, you did. You, uh, do you still do, do you stand up at all? Um, a little bit in a very specific way. I mean, I uh, moved back to North Little Rock, Arkansas, where I grew up, like three years ago this month, and um, I didn't do stand up for God over two years because I just assumed there wasn't a good scene here. And then I found that there's a great stand-up scene here, but it's all at bars. Mm -hmm. And um, so the so the comics that succeed, they're very smart. There's like six brilliant guys that could be making it in L.A. or New York, and they intend to go there. Uh, but um, they, uh, they do swear and are kind of dirty at times. And even though I swear in real life sometimes, I've always been a clean comic on stage. And so I... Uh, so I wrote my heart out trying to write new material it wasn't flying with the bar crowds and i just mm. decided on my birthday um uh, july 26th to just go ah forget it um focus on something else and i two weeks later i had the idea for the book and um now i'm getting another shot at doing stand-up though uh because um i and my best friend a guy named scott vincey uh, we uh, started a business in L.A. called Catholic Laughter, 
and we're both Catholic and we bring uh, comedy shows to um, uh, stand-up shows to churches and events of Catholic stuff uh, nationwide. And um, we'd had kind of a rough time getting back from uh, the COVID collapse of everybody afraid to have gatherings and all that. And uh, we had one epic show in Cleveland last year. They're bringing us back again, but we didn't, we were having a hard time getting attention. And then suddenly uh, this past uh, Tuesday, I got profiled for the book in the Chicago Tribune. Uh, they gave me like a crazy big article. I was shocked, but I, I knew the guy. I worked there 1999 and he uh, always liked me. So he gave me a great plug and he included a link directly to our site. And uh, within a day, we got offered uh, the chance to negotiate a show in September in a beautiful 950 seat theater. We've never done more than 400 people. And that was a record. It, that was like a rare thing, you know? So uh, this could really be spectacular. So um, I plan on definitely getting my game back in gear and figuring out some other way to practice and being ready for that and hopefully, you know, build other shows out of it. Awesome. And what's that Catholic laughter? Is that what? Catholic laughter is catholiclaughter.com. And, um, and people might think, Oh, you know, how could that be uh, funny if it's like for churches, but we guarantee that every one of our shows has somebody who's been on one of the late night shows like Kimmel uh, tonight show, um, you know, all the drill. And, um, and then uh, we had even had Paul Rodriguez, one of the Comedy Central's mm. 100 uh, Best Comics Ever. Um, he did one of our shows, and we're talking to him about doing the Chicago one, if it happens. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. No, that's that's a great I, – I was uh, – uh, I mean, look at how successful Drybar is. And, oh, I mean, that's, yeah. that's clean comedy. I know. i got to get into that, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were saying you you were clean. I'm like, oh, I know a place you you could. I, I've I've actually had, uh, two or three. I, at least three guests on the podcast who have dry bar specials. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So it's a it's a, uh, and one of them is is not a clean uh per not a clean comic, but they cleaned it up to do the dry bar special. Oh wow. Which, I, I can't his hasn't come out yet but i can't wait to see how that turns out because yeah well I, that gives me an idea that we need to film this chicago show if it happens and break that up or make that a dry bar special oh yeah yeah no and i i think it's a i think it's a great idea as a uh i would say a non-practicing catholic i i think that would, sure that would, that would bring me to the church if they had a comedy show <laughs> yeah yeah no the ones that had it there was about uh 20 in uh, the LA area that that had us and then like I said we did one big show in Dallas that was for uh, the advertised across the diocese and then um, Cleveland was a private group that has Catholic ties and um, <clears throat> we had a really great show there and they're bringing us back in April again so gotcha yeah well, and by the I'm... way folks if I if I squint a lot uh, I'm on the autism spectrum and that's a habit of ours so forgive me that's uh, uh uh well let's we can segue into that if you don't mind too um, well i didn't mean it as a segue but sure, no, yeah to. i'm i'm the king of awkward segues my my daughter's on the spectrum um yeah. so i i um i'm very and i i believe and i think i heard this but correct me if i'm wrong of course you were diagnosed later on in life right <laughs> Yeah, that's saying something. Um, I got diagnosed. I moved home um, in January 2020, and I'm 51 now. I was 49 or 48 then, and um, I got diagnosed after I moved home. I'd been to psychologists or psychiatrists, whatever, psychologists um, several times over the years in L.A., like, like three different consistent ones with gaps in between. Not one of them ever said, oh, you know, we think you're autistic or not one of them ever said, you know, uh, you might be bipolar or which I learned I am since I moved home also. And uh, not one of them amazingly brought up ADHD and uh, that got diagnosed just this year because um, I work a job for social security disability in the day job and it's kind of complicated and I was having a hell of a time learning this stuff until somebody said get to your psychiatrist fast and have them see if they can diagnose you with 
ADHD and get you medicated. And within a day of being given the new medication, given Adderall, basically it was, um, I, I picked up the job perfectly. And, I, and I've been so productive. A uh, large part of being able to get the book done was uh, came after um, this happened in mid-October. So, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting how uh, I feel like kids nowadays are going to always be diagnosed at a young age. Yeah, because it's good. such a known thing. But even, I mean, I, I say this kind of haphazard. My my ex wife always says I, she thinks I'm on the spectrum, <laughs> and I'm like, huh. I might be, but I don't know if it would benefit me to go get checked out for it because I, you know, I'm I'm. Well, it depends what your day job is. I mean, or almost any job. Um, I I was told that these days, if you have a disability put it out there, especially if we're already hired, where it won't affect you from getting, it's legally not supposed to affect you from getting hired, but I don't believe that employers look at, oh, this guy's autistic and goes pass, you know, before they could get in trouble for it. So, I mean, I would say if you're pretty secure where you're at, it's still a good thing to have on your record. So, um, because it makes you almost impossible to get laid off, I'm told. Hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> keep it thought. in my back it's pocket. The, it's the yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a uh, it's interesting how how many, uh, you know, people my age, your age, that are are getting uh, finally getting diagnosed with it, you know, as opposed to my daughter was in first grade or something when, or maybe second. Wow. Grade when she was diagnosed with it and it's you know again it's people i'm sure it's the the same for you people would say oh i'd have no clue if you didn't tell me uh unless people who spend all day with you probably could tell but people who you know interact with you here and there probably you know this is what i i think with my daughter it's like her classmates maybe have an idea that that there, she's a little different but you know uh, someone she runs into on the street isn't you know isn't going to to think there's something yeah, yeah. wrong with her um <clears throat> but it, it's good to uh <laughs> it's it's good to to know uh what uh it, uh, it, it, it it's from a parenting perspective it makes it a lot easier to to uh help her go through things having that diagnosis even though you know there's not she she doesn't have anything she can really do except for learned how to uh you know just kind of social therapy kind of stuff yeah sure um you also have uh uh or had i, I guess you know you can help me out on that but uh narcolepsy which is obviously a, oh, yeah. a, a major player in the title of the book uh again folks that's dozed and confused tales from a nutty narcoleptic life and the link of course will be in the show notes um great great title for that book by the way thanks outstanding title um so i'll 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 tell you a joke i always make even though uh in reality she might have my my mother she will mid-conversation just be sitting on the couch and just fall asleep. Uh, oh, yeah. So we have a running joke. Uh, her children and husband have a running joke that she's a narcoleptic. Um, and she always, no, I was just tired and I dozed off. Um, now, in reality, she might have narcolepsy, I think. But yeah. Who knows? Um, she, she has other issues that, that she, she worries about more than that. Um, so when I told her I was interviewing you and, uh, told her about the book, she's like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to joke about me, aren't you? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so tell me how, um, I know a little, cause I heard you talking, uh, on that Chicago show. Uh, but I, my audience, I assume has not. So, <laughs> yeah, of course. um, so how did you, how did you get, uh, how did you figure out it was, was, narcolepsy and and uh you know what kind of i always think what kind of trouble did did you get into uh that that made you think okay i need to get this figured out (laughs) yeah well okay so first of all it's just too long to put in a title and it's catchier to say narcolepsy 
but I was um, labeled by multiple doctors, including sleep experts, where my problem was so bad in LA that eventually my primary care doctor was my sleep doctor. And they labeled me virtually narcoleptic, which meant I had the equivalent problem of falling asleep. And they said even worse than most narcoleptics, but they never officially labeled me narcoleptic uh, because they said they had a feeling that it could be other underlying issues that if I solved them, I could be cured of it. And that's what happened. I'll explain in a moment. And um, narcolepsy itself, if you have the actual disease or disorder, you can never uh, overcome it. You can never cure it. You can just take good medicines, get a nap. What, Jimmy Kimmel's narcoleptic. And um, that was the first time reading him talk about it in the LA Times around 2006 or so. Um, made me go, oh my God, that's happening to me. And I went to my doctor and said, okay, look at this article. Look what's happening to me. He mentions this medicine. Can I be put on this? And um, and they and so they put me on real narcoleptic medicine, uh, even though they still were like, well, we're not quite sure this is, you know, what you do with. But Jimmy takes a pill and he gets a two-hour nap every day in his contract, and that's how he functions. But for me, uh, what it turned out to be was um, uh, big shockers on these ones. Um, a combination of uh, being too overweight. I've lost about. 50 pounds. I was in my 320s for a very long time, which is insane. And now I'm at 270 or high 260s. And um, when I was, my diabetes was out of control. I wasn't keeping up with it, barely even thought about having it until the last five years or so. And um, my A1C was crazy. And so eating the wrong kind of food, carb-laden, sugary, whatever, would give me what the uh, basically what people know as a food coma and I'd pass out partly from that or mm. um, and also being uh, uh, bipolar I had the upside the manic side for most of my problem and so I and I had access I was an entertainment editor and a comedian in Los Angeles I had access to any event I wanted any night of the week short of like the Oscars and so I was out almost every night um, which is totally unhealthy, or it's even stay at home. I'd be up to like 12.30 watching the talk shows, then having to get up at 6 or 6.30 for work. It's, you know, I did it to myself in a lot of ways. And now that I'm back in my hometown of North Little Rock, um, I still go to cool things. Like I'm going to see a, a big Broadway show, Tootsie the Musical tonight. But, mm. uh, but the thing is um, that I'm much more settled and grounded that I come home, I chill out, uh, still do a lot of creative things, but I just make sure I relax and I go to bed by 1030 and, you know, I sleep my seven and a half hours and I'm fine. And, uh, you know, it's completely changed my life. That's, uh, I always, with, with the uh, narcolepsy, uh, have you seen the movie Rat Race? Yes, yes, Oron Atkinson. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It's almost exactly like that. It, I really was that kind of bad. So you could literally just at any at any point just be be gone. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, okay. They call they call it when you fall asleep standing. And by the way, the one other point I want to make about health stuff is I'm having a big essay on the number one narcolepsy group um, by the end of the month. It's called Wake Up Narcolepsy on their website. And they told me, make sure that I stress that it's like, for me, it's easy to be misdiagnosed. Even if you have it, they might just say, oh, it's other stuff. Or if you have other stuff that's just as bad as narcolepsy, they may, they may never look how to solve those problems. And so they just said, if, you have some, if you're falling asleep way too much, get checked. It could even just be sleep apnea. But uh, if you snore too much, get checked because these have serious side effects on your life. Snoring is not just a funny thing to joke about anymore. It's it's very easy to fix and it, it affects so much of your body to so just do it. But um, back to Mr. Bean in <laughs> Rat Race. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm a little hoarse. Um, he falls asleep even standing up in ridiculous situations. And it's like one of my favorite movies, partly because of that. And um, that's called cataplexy when you, it's like sleep paralysis. And well, sleep paralysis is where you're locked in bed and you can't move or get up. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I ever had that. That's really messed up. 
Oh, but I have that catapulty, a lot. <laughs> pardon me? I get that a lot. Oh, my God. You got to get checked. Wow. <laughs> well, so cataplexy, though, is where you're standing up and you can suddenly fall asleep, but you don't fall down. Um, and that happened to me. The most insane example, I don't think it happened very often, but one time I was in Chicago's Museum of Contemporary Art at an all-night event, which was real smart of me. And um, I'm standing looking at some glass sculpture that was priceless. And, uh, and, I, and I just freeze up and I'm standing there forever. And my friends said they were calling to me for like 10 minutes before, because you're not really, they didn't know I had this problem at that extent. And you're not supposed to tap people awake when they're frozen like that. Um, the reaction can be like really violent or even they say, but somehow they woke me up and I almost felt, or I was about to fall forward into the glass sculpture and guards came and grabbed me and they didn't wait around asking for what the problem was. They just took, assumed I was drunk and dragged me out the uh, museum and locked the doors. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's a thing, man. That's interesting. I never thought about the fact that uh, narcolepsy could very easily be mistaken by other people as uh, uh, this guy's drugged out or he's drunk. Oh yeah, just, totally. You know, that's yeah. I've never thought about that. That could be a, that could be quite a problem. I would imagine with with security guards, police. Oh my god. Well, I mean, when I was many times, I would just desperately want to take a nap in my in my booth. And my friends knew what was up and they were cool. But almost every time I did it, unless it was a totally like local type of diner where it didn't matter, but any place that served alcohol, they're like, you got to go now. And because they said, you know, they're always supposedly living in fear of these ridiculous, anytime could happen raids, which I'm sure never happened. Uh, but there's like, oh, if a cop walked in right now, they think we overserved you, you know? So I had to go. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird, uh, <laughs> that's a, I, there's, there's some comedic premise in that. I, I, I oh, can't yeah. land on it, but there's definitely. <laughs> well, I gotta say, I mean, one thing that's weird is, um, or, or that I'm kind of a little bit sad about actually is I never took into account when I was joking about this over the years, um, because this book is, um, a combination of, uh, my, my scripts from, uh, a one-man stage show I did in a Fringe Hollywood Fringe Festival um, from other storytelling shows that I performed at, um, like articles I wrote about, one thing got on it, two things got on NPR, uh, stuff like that. It's all funny stories. And only the first six chapters are about narcolepsy out of like 31. Um, and I just barely mentioned having a not-off problem in a couple more of those stories. But my dad saw all my, uh, read my book description and instead of finding it funny, he said, this is, I'm sorry, I just can never laugh at this because um, I had to live with all the worry and concern for you all those years, you know, that that when's the time you actually hurt yourself falling down or get robbed or get worse, you know? And um, so I didn't think about that down to depress all your listeners, but, <laughs> but um, I did, I, I don't know, somehow I always found it a way that it was funny to, and people always love the stories. And so, you know, uh, I've just decided to finally put the book together, put a collection together. Yeah. Now, you you never, I imagine, you never fell asleep on stage performing. No, a- I did once. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was it was the cataplexy thing. I was, um, um, I don't, I try not to name drop, but I'm good friends with Paul Rodriguez, who I mentioned earlier. And um, at one time, this is like, 2006 or seven i'm at the laugh factory one of the biggest clubs and uh um and anyway i was supposed to perform like they had a rule they knew i had a problem so the owner always wrote on the schedule do not put carl on after nine o'clock it was like cinderella you know and um <laughs> and i was supposed to go on at 8 45 one night paul rodriguez shows up and of course because he's king daddy of comedy uh he shows up and they just let him bump me go on stage he went on for like an hour, just, you know, had the crowd in the palm of his hands, but it was still uh, kind of obnoxious. And uh, by the time it was my turn, I was so tired. I was, I didn't know what was worse to beg out of my spot 
or just do it. I thought, oh, you know, I'll do it. I'll get adrenaline. I fell asleep on my stool. I was sitting, leaning on a stool and thank God I had that. Otherwise I probably would have collapsed on stage. And, um, and I just passed out uh, sitting on the edge of my stool and you know, looking like I'm sleeping away. I was sitting <coughs> asleep and I dropped the mic and it made such a noise that it woke me up. <laughs> and, and I was like, <laughs> and, um, and so after that, I didn't get any more spots at the uh, Laugh Factory for quite a few years. That's, uh, I, I, I wonder what the audience was, they're, they're probably sitting there thinking, is this a bit? I don't, <laughs> I know, yeah. Or is this Lenny Bruce doing heroin again? I mean, what? Yeah. yeah, they, I get, yeah, they probably thought that they were, uh, uh, watching someone who had, who had, uh, per- taken a little too much, uh, <laughs> yeah, something or other. <laughs> um, yeah. And and uh, I know uh, I think I heard um I mean speaking of substance abuse you didn't you I think I heard you featured for Mitch Hed- Hedberg oh yeah <laughs> but I mean I don't have a wild Mitch Hedberg story it was actually kind of a sweet story um, Mitch to those who don't know famously was this brilliant one liner comic just super brilliant twisted I don't mean twisted sick but he would put twists on his jokes you have to look him up on uh, youtube or wherever but um he was a he was a very big star at the time and he came to zany's in chicago which was my first pro club and i did perform there a bunch um and um anyways i usually was an mc but they actually moved me up to be feature act that week which was incredible because you get you get to do a whole half hour you're not just seen as the guy who's telling people how to buy their drinks you know and um Anyways, he performed and it was super nice. But one night I'm hanging out in the uh, uh, backstage area with him and his wife was traveling with him. And I asked him, you know, not, I don't think I quite realized that he had the drug problem. Somehow I didn't know that yet. It was like 1997 or so. And, um, and anyways, I said, hey, would you, would you guys like to come to the bar and have some drinks? And they looked at each other like really like, or she gave him a look like, honey, no, you know. And he was like, uh, I think we're just going to hang out at the hotel. And I was like, uh, then I sort of understood or remembered that he had a problem. And uh, so I just let it go. But yeah, he was he was really funny and uh, seemed like a nice guy. Yeah. And uh, something that, that caught my eye when I was reading, uh, I'm not sure where I read it. Um, and anytime this guy's name comes up, uh, I, I have to ask, uh, Norm McDonald, you had a, an incident with him <laughs> yeah. of some sort. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. That okay, didn't sound well, like it was a nice story, but <laughs> did you, see, did you get to see it or you need me to tell you or what? Uh, yeah. If you could tell me, I just, I just, oh, no, know... I'll tell the listeners. I just didn't know how much you had known of it already. I, I the only thing I know is you were accused of stalking him. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what I that's what I read. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what happened was, um, this will take a couple minutes, but you know, it's I guarantee it's funny. <laughs> I was um, working as a reporter uh, at the Pasadena Weekly newspaper in uh, Pasadena near Los Angeles, and that's where I was an entertainment editor and film critic and could get into anything that I mentioned. And anyways, I was, but before I got officially hired. I had another job for some British company that uh, we were doing some sort of uh, quality maintenance on the internet, like checking websites and all that. And I had to work because it was Britain. I had to be ready from 6 a.m. to 3 every day, right? And they had me in this room with all sorts of other people that uh, worked with me. And we were only allowed to take phone calls on our lunch break from 11 to 11.30. And this is so early, like 2003, I amazingly didn't get a cell phone until 2006. So they had a phone in the room and I said, can I, can I have it? Uh, can I use it? And they said, yeah, only from 11, 1130. So I had basically, I had met Norm MacDonald at the ice house, which is the uh, oldest comedy club in America. And he had done a show. This is right before the Iraq war got started. And he was for the Iraq war, which was kind of surprising for somebody from Hollywood, right? They're usually anti-war. 
So he says, uh, he says a line. I'm not uh, endorsing it. I'm just saying what he said. He goes, hey, I'm not saying every Muslim is a terrorist, but it sure seems like every terrorist is a Muslim. <laughs> and like half the crowd goes bonkers for him. Half the crowd is like wanting to kill him. And then suddenly this uh, dirty napkin flies up and whacks him in the mouth. And he's like, who did that? Who did that? And um, I'll stop impersonating him now because <laughs> I realized it could not be accurate. And, um, and this Muslim woman stands up and she says, uh, me, I did it. How dare you talk about Muslims this way? And so he's like, oh, calm down. So the next thing, they're, they're arguing back and forth for like 20 minutes. It was electric. I've never seen anything like it. And she's actually funny. And the crowd's laughing at her comebacks to him. And they finally hug it out. So I go to my boss the next morning at the paper and I said, you won't believe what I just saw last night. I tell him about it. And he goes, yeah, you're right. I don't believe it. Uh, here's 20 bucks. Go back to the club and see if it happens again. I bet she's a plant. So I go back to the club. I see the show and it does not happen again. And so I'm convinced it's, this really happened. And I arranged to interview him about that and his opinions on the Iraq war. And how does he have the guts to talk that way? And, um, and so anyway, so he was, I was supposed he was supposed to call me at my work phone um, at 11 a.m. on the dot. And instead, he calls at like 1030 the next day. And uh, the announcement over the uh, intercom says, Carl Kozlowski, you have a call. Um, you're really not supposed to be on there till 11. So I pick up the phone and it's him going, hey, what's up? You know, I guess I will do him. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, uh, no, 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 I can't talk to you till 11. I swear, please call back at 11. And I hang up on him. So he calls back at 11 and he's just laughing at me. He goes, what the hell kind of newspaper are you working for? <laughs> and I was like, uh, look, look, it's a long story. I just, I only could talk to you 11, 1130. I need to get up moving on this. He said, all right, all right, you know. So I started interviewing him. And he had such interesting things to say that um, basically his main point was that only in Hollywood, where the left is so extreme, would he be considered a conservative, that he's really, you know, center left kind of a guy. But that there was such extremism that it makes him look conservative, okay? So he, um, we're talking, and then 1130 rolls around. I get the dirty eye from my supervisor. I go, I got to go, but I have more things to ask you. Call me back tomorrow at 11. And he's like, oh, Christ, really? And so <laughs> so the next day, he calls at like 1045. He's like, ah, just laughing at me. He goes, all right, 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And, uh, and so finally at 11, everybody's wondering what's going on. They, they announce Carl Kozlowski, Norm MacDonald. And, uh, and so they're like, huh? So everybody's like, put it on speaker, put it on speaker. So I put him on speaker. And I do the rest of my interview, and the whole time they're laughing, and he goes, what the hell kind of place is this? You got people standing around laughing at an interview? And I was like, uh, I can't get into it, can't get into it. So I run the story, and um, somehow, I think that his assistant had given me her email address uh, to arrange the interview. So I sent her the article, and he loved it because I let him speak his mind. I didn't hammer him with my own opinions like so much media would. Yeah. And um, and he was like thankful that he got to express himself fully. And so he goes, so she writes me back and says, so um, Norm wants to know if you'd like to work on his sitcom next season, if it gets picked up. And this was a show after the Norm show. It was called A Minute with Stan Hooper. And unfortunately it only lasted six episodes. So I never got the chance at the uh, job. But he told me, come down to the show. He'd give me great seats. I'd meet him afterwards, hang out with everybody on the set. And I was, so I was all excited to go down there with a friend, of course, because he had to drive me. And this comedian, the warm-up comic, keeps yelling out trivia questions for the audience between takes, right? And these people are so stupid. And I'm a trivia, like, it's probably I'm Rain Man for entertainment trivia. I know it all, <laughs> and I know it now, right? And so the... so. I'm just sitting there like wanting to yell out the whole time, like, no, damn it, it's this, right? And <laughs> and these people are so stupid. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore on one question. Six wrong answers happened. And I finally go, oh, I know the answer. And I raised my hand. And so the guy pulls, gets me up there. He goes, what's your name? I said, Carl Kozlowski. And it's over the microphone. 
And the second I say my name, I hear this, oh, Christ. And I look, <laughs> everybody's frozen looking, and it's Norm. And he looks totally pissed at me, staring at me. And my friend had warned me, I would just sit in the audience, don't play the game. He probably wants you to be acting very professional. And there I was, right? And I'm like, oh, God. And so after the show, he's standing there shaking hands of everybody in the audience. I go last, thinking I'm going to get to talk to him, hang out. He turns around and walks away on me. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so I write his assistant. She's like, yeah, this ain't going to happen. And I'm like, oh, no, right? So what finally happened was that about uh, a couple months later, I'm going to New York for the hell of it. And I got tickets, arranged it through my media contacts to go see The Daily Show, you know, obviously with Jon Stewart then. Mm. And I get in the front row and I'm holding the cover of Entertainment Weekly has Jon Stewart on it. I thought, oh, I'll get an autograph. This will be great, right? Well, the warm-up comic sees me and he goes, oh, everybody, look at this loser's holding. And he goes, you're going to see him in 10 minutes in person. Why do you have to stare him in a, stare at him in a magazine? And I was like, uh, no, I'm doing, uh, what's your name, buddy? And I blurred out Carl Kozlowski. All of a sudden I hear, oh, Christ. And it was, <laughs> and I look over and I'm like, huh? That sounds familiar. And the guy goes, hey, folks, guess what? Your guest today is a legend. Give it up. It'll be Norm MacDonald. And I'm sitting there like, oh, no. He's going to think I followed him across country, you know, just to, just to bother him. And, um, and sure enough, he comes out to the, for his interview and he's like totally nervous, like not playing around at all, hardly, not himself. And he's like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And he keeps looking over my way. And um, and so it gets through the interview, takes off. And uh, when the show's over, I go up to the uh, security guy and I go, hey, I kind of know Norm. Can I come see him? And they go, uh, yeah, Norm left the building. And so uh, that's that's the story. <laughs> I thought I followed him nationwide. <sighs> <laughs> did you did you ever uh clarify things with him or is that how you left it <laughs> i never got a chance um i know i think no i probably wrote his assistant and then one other time i saw him in the balcony at the uh, laugh factory he was in there st- just w- sitting by himself and i come up to, <laughs> i come up towards him and i go uh norm can i talk to you he goes ah christ and so <laughs> i could just turn around yeah <sighs> Well, uh, you 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 basically had a bit with them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. Norm is uh, well, I almost said something that would be completely incorrect. I was going to say he's a living legend, but oh yeah, <laughs> well, he's he a was, legend. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he was. You know, it was like talk about this is how uh, I. You know, it was in all the clubs, knew all the people, um, wrote for some good places, like I said, performed at these clubs, but I never made it into big time television because there were, if there was a way to screw it up, I found it. And that was a prime example. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, do you, uh, for some reason, and again, I've, I'm, I, 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 between the whiskey and the, 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 the listening to other podcasts and reading stuff. I don't remember if this is true. Did I, I thought I remembered you saying something about wanting to, uh, to, to get into pitch a show or something, but if I'm misremembering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we're, we're, I shot a sitcom um, pilot. Um, actually it was like three times we shot it with three different directors, three different scripts, but they all featured a special guest star named Stephen Tobolowski, who uh, he was the guy who yells, Bing, I'm the Ryerson in Groundhog Day. Oh, and yeah. he's like one of the 10 busiest actors in Hollywood, according to the showbiz magazine Variety, or 10 most watched because it's in so many beloved shows and movies as a character actor. Mm-hmm. And we became friends through a funny story that I'll spare you because, you know, got to get make sure we cover all sorts of things. But uh, we met in a funny way, and I asked him to be on a podcast. And he was great because I ran a podcast studio uh, for like, let me think, from 2012 to 15, we had real offices and all that jazz. And he was a guest and he uh, liked me. So we kept in touch. And I said, hey, would you be in my sitcom pilot playing yourself? And so uh, the thing was that the first time we had no budget at all, 
and a friend shot it on an iPhone, which at the time isn't the accessible thing that it is now. It mm-hmm. seemed kind of laughable. And I was cringing like, oh no, it's on an iPhone. How's this going to look any good? So, I, and I also felt uh, like some of the, something was off with it. So we, so we uh, scrapped that first time. And then we did it again, like I said, two more times. And finally the third time I liked it. And um, I just didn't know a whole lot of, I knew all the performers, but I didn't know a whole lot of uh, uh, showbiz folks, like right. behind the scenes producer types. And so um, I didn't really ever push it properly uh, until um, uh, at the time I got it up to like two or three people. And one guy named Owen Smith, who was a blackish writer and producer and was on, uh, was runs the last OG with Tracy Morgan and Tiffany Haddish. He loved my acting. He raves about it. I have it on my website, this crazy quote he gave, but it wasn't his cup of tea as a show, he said. Uh, so um, I didn't really know what to do with it. But now um, that this Tribune thing happened and I'm lining up a lot of other press, I'd be crazy not to give it a whirl again. And so, uh, so we're building a better uh, uh, website to cover that show. And I'm going to try and pitch it all over. And we have an inside contact uh, I can't say who, but it's with Adam Sandler's company, and uh, he's looking at something else I'm coming up with, and so um, I just sent him the sitcom now. I have no idea if it'll happen, but uh, he was a guest on my podcast, and I don't want to say his name so he doesn't get hounded by other people, but he was a regular yeah. actor before he became a producer in all of Adam's movies, and so he, um, uh, he, he was filmed in a documentary that I'm working on about my uh, podcast company and he's agreed to watch that and so I, I sent him the sitcom on top of it so uh, we'll see I'm, I'm going to try other places if I have to though do you still do you still have a podcast that's something I not currently I don't um, I stopped running the podcast business at the end of 2015 uh, due to crazy stuff that went down uh, the, the uh, I'm writing the podcast story as a book as a mini book first, like 50 pages to figure out our pitch outline and stuff. But my partners are laughing so hard. They're like, dude, you got to go back and make this the real book. It's better than the first one. even." But um, uh, basically, uh, now, uh, since I moved home to Little Rock, uh, I quit podcasting at the end of 2018. I ran uh, shows out of my apartment for like three years. And then I got tired of people coming to my apartment and I kind of flipped out one day and said, everybody's done. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and so then I about a few months later, a friend hired me to produce and co-host a radio show on Real Radio in LA on a station called KRLA. So I so I did that for two years, and then I did a Little Rock version of that show on a Little Rock station for like a year. But right now I'm not doing anything. Gotcha. Um, and uh, I I I had this on my list of things I wanted to ask you, and uh, I do I do I did hear some of the story but just to for my listeners sake the um just to to give you your your due credit as a comedian um you did win a, a contest and were named yeah. America's funniest uh reporter um how I um I don't remember the specifics entirely though uh but it was a it was a stand-up competition correct yeah yeah it was at the laugh factory um, they did a lot of things. It was kind of a gimmick. They did a lot of things like America's Funniest Lawyer, uh, Doctor, etc. They did Reporter, finally. And they had a club in New York at the time. Uh, they now have one only in L.A. Or they have a few around smaller cities, but L.A. and Chicago are their bigger ones. And um, at the time, they had a New York one. So they did a L.A. version of all these contests and a New York one. And then the winner of New York got to fly to L.A., um to uh compete and so they flew out the winner from new york i beat her and then my prize was getting the flight i got some money but also in a plaque um i guess we have the plaque here um and um this is it they say funniest reporter in the country but the title was america's funniest reporter but anyway um uh this um uh i beat her and i got to fly to new york and that was kind of a funny thing because um (laughs) Where, where my sitcom really, I think it, I want to base it on the book stories. And it's, it's uh, we intended to be like uh, career enthusiasm. 
uh, because uh, people tell me I have as much or crazier things happen to me as Larry David seems to in the show. And uh, so imagine I go to New York for my prize performance. And that was the night that Michael Richards said the N-word and caused international oh my God. kerfuffle. And imagine this, like three or four months before, I'm at the Laugh Factory Hollywood and Michael Richards is running around nervous up, upstairs doing handstands against the wall, all sorts of weird stuff. And I'm like shadow boxing the wall. And I asked other people, I said, what the hell is he doing? And they said, oh, he's about to stand up for the first time in uh, many years. And so I guess he's nervous. So he gets on stage that night. It was Good Friday of uh, 2006. And he gets on stage and I'm in the balcony just... Um, uh, it was it was the night that I won the contest actually in LA, and uh, or no, wait, let me think, let me think. Hang on a second, because he did his performance while I was okay. So separate performance, but he was his first time on stage. He sees me up in the balcony. I'm sitting by myself. I have my arms crossed, but that's something I do as an autistic trait. Like I just kind of lock up like this when I'm. Oh, you can't really see it, but anyway, I cross my arms a lot and sit very tight when I'm on my own. And um, so I'm sitting there like that. He looks up and he was doing this awful material. Everybody cheered when he took the stage, gave him a standing O. But it was so weird on Good Friday. He did the most blasphemous, sacrilegious stuff I've ever heard, just totally screaming about what a loser Jesus was that he couldn't get himself off the cross. And the crowd, I'm certain they weren't like a church-going crowd in a, any big way because we're on Sunset Strip Friday night, 10 o'clock, mm -hmm. and at a club, right? And he, but he shocks them to the point where they're not laughing. The, no, it's silent. And so he's yelling, why aren't you like this? Why aren't you laughing? And then he looks up at me in the balcony and he goes, you, are you judging me with your arms crossed? And I just was like, no. And so, so then uh, at the end of the night, I tell the owner, he wasn't in the room at the time. I said, you need to like watch out. That guy should not be on stage. I'm sorry. And I told him what he did. And the owner goes, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing, buddy. And so then like two, three months later, inf world infamy happens. So, you know, it's, it's crazy, but I was there for both ends of it. Wow. That is, that is crazy. I always, um, Michael Richards is, is fascinating because he got so famous as a, as Kramer. Yeah. And, and it, it, the audience loved him so much. You've probably heard this. They had to, it, it, during Seinfeld filming, they had to actually tell the audience to stop, like, giving him a standing ovation the first time he wow. came through the door because they it would disrupt the show. They would cheer so much for yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and then I was, I was watching Seinfeld bloopers. You can find them on YouTube. Oh, and wow. he would get so pissed sometimes especially wow. at uh julia louis dreyfus when they would break when he was doing something if they would they if they couldn't hold it together he would get so angry like just i'm i i i think he's like i'm gonna bashing your skull with a hammer if you laugh Jeez, my god really and it's like i don't know if he's joking he, he's very intense um and it's it's like I I could see how that would not work well in stand up, um, yeah. Plus, he was so physical, which I, I guess physical comedy can work on stage, but it's it's tough to rely upon it. Um, he was so physical, physically comedic, as Kramer. Um, and my guess is he didn't. I mean, I've only seen one clip of him doing stand up, and. <laughs> it's that <laughs> as most yeah. people have um but it sounds like he he probably it's interesting it sounds like he almost had the same issue that uh bob saget had for a while where i know bob saget when he was and, and he he was a successful stand-up but yeah. i know he had some issues for a while where he was just trying not to be the dad from full house so he yeah, would just he was be pretty gross. Overly yeah. over the top gross on stage. Yeah. And it wasn't even funny. It, you know, once it once the laughter of, oh look, Danny Tanner saying, you know, grotesque things, once that that initial shock was over, it wasn't really funny material. It was just he he was just being 
extremely grotesque, uh, usually in a sexual manner. Uh, yeah, well, I got to say one thing that he um, was a friend of my co-host for my radio show, the real radio stuff. And um, uh, and he got us, Bob, as a guest uh, last December of 21, like three weeks before he died. Oh, my and God. And Bob couldn't have been sweeter. And he talked at length about we might have been his last interview even. I don't know. Or next. I think it was next to last. And um, uh, he was talking about how he really went too far and he regrets it and how he how he had like this he was jewish so i don't literally he didn't say come to jesus but he had what they call a come to jesus type moment where come to yahweh i guess and he just was like um man this is this is too much i gotta stop and so he made a real big effort to you know become more normal level dirty comic you know yeah, well, and and he was successful probably because he never went on stage screaming the n word. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. <laughs> he avoided that pitfall. But he, I mean, I don't I don't know about Michael Richards, but I mean, everyone, every comic who ever met Bob Saget just raves about what a wonderful person he was. Yeah, um, yeah. Michael Richards, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure if he was or not or is or not. He's yeah. He's, I don't uh, know. My thinking is probably not. If you, if you're, I mean, you have to be just, you have to be really messed up to yell out the N word at a, in an, at, at any time, regardless. It's wrong. But I mean, come on. Yeah. You're like so many decades after we came wrong. I mean, give me a break. How stupid do you have to be? Yeah. You and know, it, it wasn't one time. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah. You know, it was like, it wasn't a oops, I made a mistake. It was a, I'm, I'm, yeah, he he had he had that rage bubbling up inside of him, but it, yeah. it, you know it, it sounds like he was going for incredibly shocking material to begin with, yeah. based on his first time doing it. That's yeah. Well, probably wanting to change his image completely the way uh, Saget was trying because I mean this was 2006 when he did this, and that was uh, seven or eight years after Seinfeld had ended, and he he wasn't seen anywhere hardly so. He must have thought, well, screw it. I'm going to try something totally different, see how it goes. Yeah, I, I guess know? it's hard. Um, it's interesting, actually, if you think about it. You were talking, and I already forgot his name, which is terrible. The guy who played Ned Ryerson, who is one of the most... That's my guy, Stephen Tobolowski. Yeah, yeah Stephen Tobolowski is one of the most... You see him and you instantly... I, I always am like, oh, bing! Uh, yes. every, and you see him all over, and... Uh, Stephen Root, I think is his name, is another guy like that who's <laughs> been in a yeah. gazillion things and you know him and he just becomes the character so well that you don't typecast him. But then there's the incredibly successful shows where, you know, you can't see Michael Richards and not think Kramer. That's If he got cast in a TV show today... Everyone would be like, oh, it's Kramer playing. Well, why isn't he playing Kramer? What is he? <laughs> um, so it's kind well, of a double-edged sword. If, you, if you're so, if you're on something so long and successful, you, you might run the risk of being typecast as that, as that person. Um, but, but yeah, by the, by the flip side, the, the Stephen Roots and, and uh, people like that, are are so successful and so good that they blend into so many roles people don't i i it took me a minute to remember his name uh so, yeah so well, he, he talked about that um many times and that he said his dream was to be robert redford i don't think he means it literally but he wanted to be a leading man and um and he said he started losing his hair when he was 26 he's bald on top and uh, he said, you know, so I realized I if I want to stay in Hollywood, I had to be a character actor. And he said it worked out so much better because his his career, well, Redford's career was really long, but I mean, his career is incredibly long also. And, you know, he's made a ton of money anyway, doing all these, you know, hundreds of shows and whatever. And he's a, and anyway, but what I was going to say is our pilot that I finally went with that I'm trying to market, um, the the plot is that I make a big deal at my newspaper that Stephen Tobolowski is coming to do stand-up at the Ice House Comedy Club, which is, again, I said, the oldest club in America, and it's in my city of Pasadena where I worked, and at the paper. 
And I say, hey, he's coming. And my bosses are like, what's that? A Toblerone or what? <laughs> and so he, so I said, no, my God, he does. And I had a poster of Groundhog Day on the set, you know, acting like I'm obsessed with it. And I said, no, he does the greatest performance of all time. He's the guy who says, bing, I'm Ned Ryerson. And so, uh, so I said, I got to get him. So like, fine, fine, just go do the damn story. But they also challenged me uh, $500 uh of our of our change jar would be mine if i could get them to say being i'm ned ryerson on camera or on phone and so i was like all right so the whole plot is me trying to get them to say being and him getting more and more pissed and uh yeah it's it's i think it's pretty good i'm pretty proud of it and to bring things full circle uh steven tobolowski is in a scene in seinfeld that is in oh yeah those bloopers a lot because it, he he played a, a guru and it was like uh, hilarious it, it's one of the best scenes i would say in seinfeld is wow. scene he was in um and uh but they the the actors had such a hard time keeping a straight face that's that's in the bloopers a lot actually that's um that, that and I the hilarious thing is we had mentioned him multiple times and I mentioned the bloopers and it still took that that's how much he he becomes the character that you don't yeah. even think, oh wait that was him <laughs> well what what variety did was uh, when they made the list of 10 most watched actors um which is basically the 10 best character actors and um they um uh, basically said in their intro to the piece that um uh that the, these are the guys that go i know him but you don't know the name mm-hmm. you know and that that certain actors have that kind of career and he said he loves it because he makes all the money has the fun of he has a great podcast where he tells stories and it's become quite acclaimed and he's been a writer of three best-selling books of stories about his life and um you know so he gets all the success he wants and doesn't have to deal with um, being noticed everywhere in public or having to hold himself up like a Robert Redford would. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the that's the sweet spot. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um. Well, uh, so we don't run over because I feel like I could talk to you for for hours. Uh, you could. <laughs> the um. Uh, Obviously, you've got the book, which is on Amazon, Dozed and Confused, Tales from yeah. a Nutty Narcoleptic Life. Is there uh, anywhere else? Uh, and CatholicLaughter.com. Uh, yeah, CatholicLaughter.com. And if you want to see my site, it's about to be revamped, but it does have some good stuff. Uh, it's CarlCoz.com, C-A-R-L-K-O-Z.com. Again, it's about to be uh, refurbished real well, but um, uh, you can find... Um, like two or three really funny, uh, not that this isn't, but I'm saying where they were designed to be as funny as possible. Tell your craziest stories, period. I have three examples of that at the top of the uh, site where you can click in and really hear me go to town. And, um, and then uh, it has like the sitcom on it and some of my best articles, things like that. So it's if you're curious, it's a pretty good place to go. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, of course, my listeners, I will link everything in the show notes below. Uh, Carl, it has been a absolute treat uh, chatting with you. And yeah, you. You uh, I look forward to reading the book and hopefully, uh, you know, see, seeing the, uh, the sitcom come to fruition as well. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And again, everything's on Amazon. Uh, Tales from a uh, or uh, those confused <laughs> tales from a nutty narcoleptic life. So thanks. Yep. Thanks, girl. Bing. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. Thank you, Carl Kozlowski, for coming on. Uh, hope to see that pilot uh, in the future. Um, we talked more about it after we uh, after we stopped recording and uh, intrigued. And hopefully that comes to fruition and maybe Carl will uh, join me again on the podcast because, again, I think we barely scraped the surface of the stories that he could tell. Uh, And the book, Dozed and Confused, uh, 
diving on into that. And uh, I highly recommend it. Um, highly recommended by the Chicago Tribune as well. I don't know that that sways your opinion. Uh, probably less than an endorsement from me if you're listening to this podcast. Um, but otherwise, probably the Chicago Tribune. I think that's the right paper. Anywho, uh, thanks again to Carl. That was so much fun. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, hit all those links below for Carl, but also for me. Follow me on Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I'm struggling here. Minds. Uh, TikTok. You can follow me on TikTok. I'll start doing some more stuff on TikTok soon, or maybe I'll just, my TikTok will focus more on FL Teams and uh, Mr. Dog Poop Live. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Do me a favor, rate on Apple, rate on Spotify, rate on IMDb. Um, you know, that all is helpful to little old me. Um, couple questions I, I got. I'm going to punt on talking about the health and uh, drinking that I have discussed. I discussed in last week's episode with Matthew Gray. Um, I'll just say that uh, it will all be known one way or another, uh, <laughs> my decision. Uh, and it is being documented as well, which maybe leans or hints towards how I am currently handling things uh, on what day, day three uh, of being dry. Um, all right. <laughs> but that being said, make sure if you're interested, go click that Flaviar link and uh, sign on up and let them know that I sent you. And same with Ibotta. Got a few other sponsors on the line, uh, waiting on a couple things to iron out there. Uh, once they are in, I will be popping their links in the uh show notes below uh and uh you know i'll talk to you about those as well but none that make me question my conscience like the one i briefly talked about in the intro and outro last week and no i'm not telling you who it is but if you're a diehard listener you already know boom it's over Thanks for listening. It was amazing. <laughs> I I loved it. Be sure to come back for another great episode. I'm one wing away from Jeff Macalino. Of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. How much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast? You want to just straight, that's my name. I'll add the word podcast to it. Yup. See you next week.